Reading Mission, a live book club podcast where we read some of our favourite books about mission, justice and social change together. My name's Emily and with me is Mitch. Hello. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. So Emily, on that note, what are we reading tonight? Tonight, we are reading Chapter 3 of Gondwana Theology, uh, which is called The Unfinished Business of Reconciliation. And tonight, as we continue our journey exploring Gondwana theology, we will be sitting in ideas about reconciliation, what it is, why it's important, and even whose responsibility it is to do reconciliation. So, yeah, this is a pretty great chapter, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to diving into, yeah, the, the challenges and the complexities this chapter opens up in the conversations that we'll have out of this absolutely especially because it's been so long since we've been in this book it's been i know it's a been huge a minute. unplanned break <laughs> but it's exciting to be back absolutely <laughs> so before we jump into that um mitch what's been your bright spot oh look in the time since we've last recorded lots of bright spots um, but the current one occupying my time and attention is Baldur's Gate 3, which mm-hmm. has just launched out of early access. I always do this to you, Emily. Mm. I always get excited about video games. You have no idea what I'm talking about. It's okay. You enjoy it. I just can't enjoy it with you, I but do. that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do enjoy it. So this is a this is a game that's been. Uh, I've I've played a little bit of the the in development early access build um, over the last. I think it was in early access for two, maybe even three years. Um, is and that I played a long a little time bit over for a game? Time. In terms of the cycle of development, three years is for this for this scale of game. This is a massive, massive, very high budget, very highly polished game. It's been in development for six years, three behind the scenes, and then three kind of with a a public beta build that anyone can kind of jump in on. Um, I think three years is a long time for it to be in early access. Yes. Um, but it is just such a massive, massive game that, and and that worked really well for them. Like they built up so much hype and they had so many people already playing the game that then when they've launched it, gone from, from early access to the full 1.0 release, uh, it's just been massive. It's been one of the biggest game launches of the year. Um, and, probably for a while, um, and it is fantastic and so, so much fun. Um, and, yeah, so any time in the next, you know, three weeks that I'm doing anything, any work, any Discord calls, any podcast recording, just know that I'm doing you a favour because I could be playing Baldur's Gate 3, but I'm doing whatever that activity is instead. So, and Mitchell, I am totally I just grateful. <laughs> thank you, Emily. Thank you. <laughs> what about you, Emily? What's your bright spot? Um, I saw Barbie a couple of weeks ago. Oh, now it's almost film. not relevant anymore, but I still think it's slightly it's right relevant. <laughs> um, but my goodness, what a joy that movie was! I loved yes. it. I loved all aspects of it, and it was just so good. Have you seen it yet? 
Yeah, I went okay. and saw it um, shortly after release. My wife and I went to the local drive-in cinema. Oh, to watch it, that sounds <laughs> even was better. Great. Oh, yeah. that yeah. would have been so fun. Yeah, yeah. it was so fun. Um, <sighs> and yeah, that is it is just a really really fun movie. Yeah, and my entire TikTok feed has just been I'm just Ken. The entire oh, time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Me too. Actually, that, that's. I'll just like be such a fun film. So fun. So good. I feel like I would have a conversation with you off mic about it as well. Because okay, to br- yeah. But anyway, that's that. that's a, that. that's another time. Um, but any anyone on the uh, the Safe Water September mailing list, uh, keep your eyes peeled, and on the on the Embody socials, keep your eyes peeled in the next few days for the Barbie content. We're on because we we're enjoy on, riding a trend right at the tail end yeah. of it. <laughs> so yeah, um, tonight is a big focus on reconciliation and. Mm. The complexities that um, come with that term and that word and, um, yeah, what it means for reconciliation and what, yeah, what that even is. So, yeah, Mm. this has been a really great chapter to hear a different voice or perspective on reconciliation and, yeah, helping understand, having uh, having a, a read of something that's a little bit more nuanced in what this means and a little less surface level and maybe what you just, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this chapter and found it challenging and compelling at the same time. So mm. I'm going to start reading from the bottom of page 37 in the section called, is reconciliation a dirty word? Um, so yeah, let's get into it. That's true. Quote, However, some Indigenous Australians are not all happy with the language of reconciliation. They rightly point out that reconciliation is a Jewish and Christian idea, an idea that arrived with the colonists and cannot therefore be regarded as neutral or benign. For some Aboriginal commentators, the language of reconciliation is part of the colonising apparatus that keeps First Peoples down, and it does not does so by forcing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to think about their future within an alien framework that is not really their own, a framework that puts not their own but colonists' interests at the centre. And what is the colonists' prevailing interest, according to this account? It is the need to find absolution, a salving of conscience, a healing of the gaping wounds that has been rent in the colonial sense of self of self through its multitudi- multitudinous breakings of the Jewish and Christian law. Do not kill, do not steal, do not covet, do not bear false witness. So this way of thinking, the colonial motivation for justice regarding First Peoples terminates not what when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples are satisfied with justice that has been done but when the white fella sense of guilt is expiated and that quite simply is not good enough. Jumping now to page 39 at the uh, first paragraph on that page. At the same time, I have often experienced the nascent Christianity in which I was inducted represented here by its most fundamental language and imagination of scripture and apostolic tradition as the greatest ally 
I have in seeking to survive as a Trelawaray man in colonial Australia. Consider, for example, the Paulian notion that God chooses the nothings of this world, literally those who do not exist as far as the dominant powers are concerned, to be God's people and to shame those who consider themselves wise and strong. As a person who has been repeatedly told throughout my life that I don't exist, so this is obviously, this is Gary speaking. This is Gary speaking, by the way. As a person who has been repeatedly told throughout my life that I do not exist, you are not Aboriginal, there are no Aboriginal Tasmanians left, or that I don't matter. You are Aboriginal, but that means that you are drunk, well, a welfare cheat, a waste of space and resources who has nothing meaningful to contribute. I find this notion deeply encouraging. Consider also Paul's revolutionary teaching about the identity of God. God, we are told in Scripture, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Yes, in Christ, a man despised, rejected, condemned to torture and crucifixion by the imperial powers of his world. In Christ, so the story goes, the creator of the universe exchanges his great power and position for that of a slave that God might come close enough to offer the salvation, offer help and salvation to all who are slaves, that God might lift them from their servitude to the colonizing laws of sin and alienation to make them instead free children of God. Again, as one who has experienced the enslaving power of colonists, I am encouraged by this message about God, who is not identified with such power, but comes instead alongside the colonized offering help support and ultimately the gift of liberation end quote so there's a lot there in those couple of sections i think when i first read this um chapter the thing that really stuck out to me was this idea that like reconciliation is in fact a colonial term and therefore um how does that then shift how we need to look at i don't know being allies and bringing justice to um, our first peoples of Australia and asking questions like that. And I guess like that continuation of the decolonizing of my own frameworks and understandings of things um, to listen deeply to First Nations people and have conversations with non-Indigenous people as well that I know about these things Um yeah, thinking about how, yeah, what the work is that I need to do in those spaces as well. Mm, absolutely. And I think where Gary does land in this chapter is he he personally likes the the language of reconciliation or, or finds that the idea of reconciliation useful. Mm. Um, as in that second part that you that you read just now, um, he personally draws strength and inspiration from the Christian and the um. Jewish tradition before that, um, that that forms the underpinning of the Christian tradition. Um, he finds strength and uh, finds that framework useful. But I think it's yeah, I think it's really useful to acknowledge. And I, I don't know that I'd heard this idea before that um, that the idea of reconciliation isn't isn't uncontested that there is, um, you know, objection or concern from within the Aboriginal community, which, you know, I think it's always easy for us to talk when we talk about communities to fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, 
all Indigenous people think the same about mm. issues, which is just never, ever true mm. because people, group, no, no group of people is a monolith ever. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I found that quite challenging um, but really interesting and really worth considering, you know, why why we are committed to reconciliation. What are we trying to get out of this? Mm. And is it just about making the white guilt go away or mm. is it about something more important and more deeper um, in the, the healing process of this, of this country? What's the healing that we're looking to do in this process? Thinking more deeply than that, I guess, surface notion of getting rid of the white guilt. What What is that work? I don't know if that's a sounds like is a dumb question, but is that mm. I, that just but, sort of. So you're asking like what what what, what is the ultimate purpose yeah, of reconciliation? What is the ultimate purpose? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, like, you know, borrowing if if we're going to borrow the word of reconciliation, borrow the idea of reconciliation from the Christian tradition. It's the same work that God is always doing, which is the restoring of right mm. relationships uh, between people and people and God and people in the created mm. world. Um, I mean, reconciliation is fundamentally an acknowledgement that there has been harm done and seeking to undo or uh, make up as best we can for the harm that has been mm, done, mm. Um, and the coming together and re- restoring of relationship on the the other side of fixing what has been broken, fixing what has been damaged, mm. um, and when it's framed like that, and this is something that this chapter will go on to explore more. Um, it's not just a. Um, you know, everyone putting aside the past and coming together for a you know the a big group hug and holding mm. hands and all um, singing waltzing Matilda together, but it is the burden then starts to fall on the the people and the groups that did or that that perpetuate that have contributed to the colonizing. The yeah, yeah, it did. Did the initial actions the perpetuated the harms yeah. and continue to benefit from um, that history? Yeah. Mm. Um, in the same, yeah, yeah, um, mm. yeah. So, you know, what what is reconciliation? Is restoration of, of right relationship? Yeah. Um, and relationships can never flourish if they're built on inequality and injustice. And mm. yeah. Now we're going to dive into a little bit more of reconciliation as a language of truth with justice. Um, So sort of diving into these ideas a little bit more and, um, yeah, once again, I guess trying, I guess for us and me, I will say speak for myself, I won't speak for Mitch. Um, But, yeah, continuing to wrestle with these ideas of reconciliation and what, for me, my part to play in that is and how that works and is a way that is yeah about bringing those right relationships with humility and grace and so uh quoting from page 40 so 
how have I, Gary, reconciled myself to the language of reconciliation, a language that colonists brought with them from over the seas? By first, recognising that there can be no return to an existence or mode of indigeneity that is somehow free from colonial influence. That dreams towards any such return are, ironically, generated by colonialism itself. And then, by recognising the genuine power of the Christian gospel of reconciliation to make a positive difference to Indigenous people and not simply to our oppressors. And finally, by recognising that the language of reconciliation in no way absolves colonists from shouldering the lion's share of responsibility when it comes to creating a just settlement for the first peoples they have wronged. So now jumping to page 42 in the second paragraph down. Quote, that brings me to my next point of reconciliation with the language of reconciliation. The genuine power of this narrative to make a positive difference, not only to the oppressors, but also to the Indigenous people. Against the critics of reconciliation who claim the project is primarily about expiating white guilt, I want to say that reconciliation is actually about the truth, most of all, the telling of the truth and the common ownership of that truth by first people and second people alike. The truth is this that there can be no reconciliation, no coming together of first and second peoples to build a more just future without a common ownership of the undeniable truth of what has happened in this country. For many years, from the 1820s right up until the 1990s, the public imagination of this country was dominated by a great silence about the stealing of Aboriginal lands and seas, the long war between invaders and native warriors, the systemic attempts to destroy whole cultures and nations, and the forced separation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children from their families. School children are taught that the land was largely empty when the white settlers arrived, and that few natives, the few natives that already lived here soon died out because of their stupidity and their failure to cultivate the land. Students were also taught that Australia was unique amongst European colonies because it had never known a war that was fought on its own soil. These narratives are taught to indigenous and colonists alike, but throughout the period of First Peoples held onto their own histories, our own memories and our own versions of what happened. Eventually our memories and tellings came to the attention of the revisionist historians such as Manning Clark and later Lyndall Ryan, Brian Atwood and Henry Reynolds. In their hands, the truth began to come to light. It began to contest the false versions of his history so beloved for those whose wealth and power had been found on lies. As this truth slowly opened by second people, as injustices visited upon Indigenous people, and the fact of our survival slowly became part of a common national narrative. A more genuine launching place for a reconciled future comes into focus. For reconciliation begins, as the Johnian tradition says, with the confession of truth. Without the recognition of that truth, there can be no freedom. For freedom, in this understanding, is ultimately about liberation from falsehood and lies, lies about oneself, about others, and about the identity of the divine. Whoever lives in falsehood is a slave to falsehood, but whoever is set free from the falsehood by the arrival of truth will be free to choose a new destiny. End quote. We've already talked about the... um that the language of reconciliation is uh, fundamentally it's not indigenous language, but 
the, a an indigenous version might be. Have you heard the language of Makarata? Oh, I have heard Emily? that. Um, so Makarata is a is a um, Yongu word. Um, I forgive my ignorance. I don't actually know exactly where uh, that country is, but I'm pretty sure it's north uh, north of the continent. But it's the uh, the way I've often heard it translated is that it's the coming together after a struggle, mm-hmm. um, and it's the the process by which kind of all right, there's been conflict, there's been dispute, there's been violence and war. Um, we're just going to lay everything out. We're going to sort through everything, and um, by going through the process of looking at things properly, acknowledging everything that has happened and working towards, um, you know, making those, making those issues right. Mm. By going through that process, we can then move on from this. We can leave this in the past because it has been properly resolved. Mm. Um, and we can continue and we can move forward together. Um, I think Mo. I don't. I don't, I don't know. I might be um, speaking out of turn, but I feel like most people, when they use the language of reconciliation, are trying to tap into some of those same ideas. Although some people who use the language of reconciliation are probably just going like, "Oh, it's you know, it's it's in the past. Can't we just leave it there?" Without acknowledging that there needs to be a process of going through mm. the truth telling. But um, that's not actually reconciliation then either. Just saying done and move on. Say more. Yeah, that's right. Like that bit's not reconciliation because like reconciliation, (laughs) funnily enough, been doing conflict resolution and things with uh, scripture Mm. classes this last little month in one of our series or in one of our uh, topics. And it's like there's like the five A's of apology. And the last A is like, Except, or it's like accept responsibility and sort of the idea of like say you're going to change your behaviour about it, right? Mm. And that comes into reconciliation too, right? Like Mm. reconciling relationship and it's conflict resolution, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's all the same. It's not not just saying you're sorry for the thing, but it's saying we're going to change our behaviour and do something differently Mm. to Mm. make it better and try to not cause this same hurt again. And yeah. and and in that as well, you do have to hear both parts of the story and this is what I feel and this mm. is what I experienced and then yeah. do the same the other side and actually listen to each other to come mm. to a point of that reconciliation, which is all of that truth-telling, which for a long time didn't happen in our education mm. systems and everything yeah. too. So, yeah. Um, and still not greatly done, but becoming more slowly Definitely starting. Definitely becoming better. Yeah. 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 Um, I, you know, I, I think, I'm, I don't know, I try and think back to my my primary school and high school education, and I'm, relatively speaking, a young person. Um, I feel like um, my education named most of this that said i was coming up through education in the time you know in in the wake of the things like the bringing them home report Mm. and you know i was in high school when 
um, Kevin Rudd delivered the the apology to the you Stolen Generations. Oh my goodness, I was, I in, was year in high four. school when that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember going to the hall and watching that on the project big screen with everyone yeah. at school. Yeah, at the time, yeah. not really knowing what it meant, and just felt really hot sitting in the hall. No. But. I remember then coming home and mum being like, you will remember this one day and it is a significant moment in our history. Yeah. Yeah. This is is a, yeah, this is a moon landing kind of thing of like, you will remember. And you will tell your children where you were. Being dragged into the hall and watching it on the terrible school TV. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, so I, I think, I think you and I, Emily, benefit from the generation of, um, that has, sort of understood some of this, not, you know, not as well as I understand it now, mm. for sure. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're not our parents' generation who uh, wouldn't, yeah, not not speaking to our specific parents, but um, painting with a very broad brush across the generation, but wouldn't have heard any of this mm. as, you know, as students or, mm. um, you know, wouldn't have been so exposed to these ideas um and you you do you do start to appreciate why um the why some ideas around reconciliation and particularly around the process of reconciliation are quite confronting Mm. to people because it does force you to look at your understanding of the world and your understanding of your your country in a different kind of way Mm. Um, and i i I think it's good to be compassionate Mm. there um without compromising the reality. Mm. You know? Yeah, mm. even on that whole like generational change, even in my time at school, and it could have, as you say, been due to where I was exposed and the kind of subjects I did at school and things like that and the teachers I had. But when I remember like kindy year one, we used to do this thing called, I don't know, like Australiana Day, and we'd all like dress up as mm. convicts and settle- settlers or like colonists. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like play in the back playground doing that. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Which I just look back now and cringe. But by the time I was in year five and six, <laughs> that day in term one became Notable Australians Day. Um, yeah. Which was more about people who had done significant things. So you picked someone and you did a report on them and you dressed up as them and that kind of thing. So I even wonder, so even that, that's like in a six, seven-year period, how much that changed Mm. even then. And I wonder, like, what those conversations behind the scenes were and how that changed, Mm. if that was a curriculum thing or if that was just a school thing, like how that worked because that's really fascinating Mm. to me. And then, you know, by the time I'm in year 11 and 12 and doing society and culture, um, I mean, you know, and having fabulous teachers who – we're really passionate about all of this stuff and sharing that knowledge and mm. experience and giving us opportunities to go on like a discovery trip to places to hear story on country and really start that deep listening. But once again, I think that's a bit of where I was from and the the teachers I had was fortunate enough to have those experiences and that's not a universal experience for everyone at school, but definitely <laughs> – very formative in my understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah. And school's definitely also not the only place mm. uh, where you, you hear or don't hear history. Um, yes. 
you know, we'll go on to, to talking a bit about uh, the church's role in mm. reconciliation and you know, how often how often do our churches talk seriously about um, the the work the internal emotional work and the systemic uh, and societal work that still is yet to be done uh, in the journey towards reconciliation. Um, I think broadly, most churches, uh, because it's drawing from a tradition that we're fairly familiar with, are on board with the idea of reconciliation. We like reconciliation. It's a it's a thing that we're we're all about. Um, but yeah. There's, you know, different churches are going to have different limits. Um, I I have I have yet to be a part of a, a faith community where, you know, an acknowledgement of country or a, you know putting up a, a plaque on the building isn't met with some level of oh well, do we need to do that? Oh, isn't that a bit? Isn't that a bit tokenistic? Mm. Um, mm. You know, Tokenism is um, the one that we love to pull. Or that these Christians love, love to pull to, out. Yeah, that is the one. And uh, just for the record, also saying please and thank you is fairly tokenistic. When you really want to get right down to it, there are some things that we do as human beings just because they are polite. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of other good reasons as well. But that's that's a yeah. pretty simple one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this this section that you've just read for us, Emily, does also touch on the idea of kind of where is the the burden of reconciliation? Yes. Who's who does that kind of sit with? Um, and I think Gary um, Gary's point across this this chapter is that it sits the the burden of reconciliation doesn't sit on Indigenous people. Mm. It's not Indigenous people's responsibility to lead or manage or achieve reconciliation, Um, which that I think is a real shift that has started to be understood much more recently even than the the history thing. I think my looking back over the last 20-odd years, it does feel like um, the, the, the idea used to be, okay, so rec- the, the way that we will achieve reconciliation is by, um, you know, having Indigenous elders and Indigenous people educate us and explain to us and speak to us. Um, and that's not a bad thing at all, but it puts, the, it put, puts all the uh, burden of res- and responsibility and effort on Indigenous people where I think Gary's trying to say, and I think other people are saying as well, um, actually the responsibility is on the colonisers to do the work, uh, do as much of the work as they possibly can themselves um, because otherwise it's it's just redoing more of the same power stuff. Hey, we, we, we broke it. We broke it and we want you to fix it. Yeah. It's like not too long ago, Taika Waititi did an exact speech about mm. that, about why they're yes. not more first or indigenous people in the, in the arts creating no. yes. and why we're not seeing yes. that. And he literally, yes. that was literally what he was talking about oh. in terms of 
Yeah. Well, it's because, you know, someone came into your house, stole everything and burnt your house down and then said, I'm sorry, but you fix it. We don't have the energy to then have to do that everywhere. And yeah. nor should we have to. I also to- love one of the... One of his lines in that in that speech is like, "Why why are there so few Indigenous you know directors and and people in cinema?" He goes, "Because we're freaking here at this conference yes, doing, doing these this speech, yes, instead of directing, yes, instead of creating said, art. You know, yeah, this is this is this is great. I love doing this stuff. It's important. Thank you for do- like. No, it's mm. not. Yeah, it's it's not that he didn't want to be doing that, but." When we are requiring Indigenous people to do that, to be the educators, to do the heavy lifting of reconciliation, mm. it, that, that has a flow-on effect. Yes, and it's taking into account, like, the intercultural framework we've spoken about, I think, every episode mm. so far in yes. this book. Yes. It's us as non-Indigenous people getting our stuff together and figuring it out. Well, not figuring it out entirely ourselves, but... Asking the questions, doing the work, doing the learning together in those spaces and allowing yeah. Indigenous people and First Nations people to do it in their spaces as well and what they need to bring yeah. to the spaces and what we bring. And then that's when we can come and meet together in those yeah. more transaction or, ooh, transa- ooh, transactionary, trans- transactional, it's not quite word, inter, but inter, um, intercultural spaces, inter- Exchange to exchange, like exchange spaces. spaces, yeah, yeah, exchange yeah. of spaces because that's the whole we need to do the self reflection on our own history mm. and how things have gone about, mm. and even just like bigger than just in Australia, but like you, I, I've been listening to a um a podcast um, by Mark Fennell, on it's an ABC podcast called Stuff the British mm. Doll. He also mm. do like a TV, yep. the TV series version of it as well. The TV series is really good. And the podcast I've only listened is, to a little bit of the podcast, yeah, but the TV series equally is equally good. Um, yeah. And so it's exactly the same thing. It's like, okay, it's coming to terms with this is not just what's happened here, it's happened in other places too, and acknowledging this isn't a unique experience to these lands it's also in other places and not that we necessarily have the responsibility in other places, but mm, no. that this is a, but just to acknowledge that this isn't a universal experience in lots of places and it's not unique to here. It's not something new. It's something that's happened before. Which gives us more people to learn from yes. in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. We need to be willing to take on the, the truth telling yeah. and yeah. the history. Oh, I don't like to say it, but I remember in like my year seven history class, our teacher always spoke about that history was is written. History is always written by the victor. So, mm. you know, the people who are in control, the people who are in power, yeah. perpetuate the narrative, tell the story that is the one to yeah. live on. Um, yeah. I don't like to say that European colonists is, Colonists were the vic- well. It's in terms of like the the in it, like in terms of what that quote is getting at the yeah. the idea like, of power and dominance yeah, it's and the power authority. And dominance. Yeah. yeah, and so therefore yeah. that is the narrative that's been perpetuated over the last two hundred and fifty years. And yeah. so this is and yeah. We are now living through a time where we are recognizing 
that victory, quote unquote, is not the best criteria from which to write history. And yes. we are choosing to not value that in yes. the same way. That and unravel those stories to yeah. weave in. And we are choosing to revise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because even yeah. like there's different texts like Dark Emu. I haven't actually read the book. I should have. I know I should Great have book. read Dark Emu, but I yeah. haven't. Confession. Um, but I did watch the <laughs> documentary that um, the documentary that was on ABC not too long ago. Very fascinating in the way that it's sort of talking about different perspectives and how not everyone agrees with the same kind of stuff, right? Mm. Like mm. with Bruce Pascoe's no. analysis and critiques yeah. and yeah. the discourse that happens there. And so mm. fascinating. But exactly this kind of work of there's there's truth in all of it somewhere and it's finding where the truth is i think is important and how we reconcile that and yeah relearn what we've not been taught yeah what we've taken for granted yeah yeah that's good so emily what does that uh what does that start to look like in our church communities oh. Gosh. Does Gary have any words for us there? He absolutely does. And this is a very, um, I guess, confronting section, especially for someone who is a leader in a church currently. So Mm. I'm going to read from page, the end of page 44. Quote, let me conclude with a challenge for Christian leaders who will read this chapter. Can any of you say out of the truth that whispers deep in your heart that you've truly taken responsibility for the wrongs your church and congregations have visited upon first peoples of this land? Have you acknowledged your part in stealing land, removing children and destroying culture? Have you acknowledged and do you take responsibility for the ongoing effects of these injustices in the form of disproportionately high levels of Indigenous poverty, incarceration, physical and mental illness. Furthermore, have you made an apology to the people so affected? Not in the general rhetorical way, so beloved of our politicians and CEOs, but face-to-face, neighbour-to-neighbour. Have you demonstrated to the people you have wronged that you are serious about taking recompense for justice for them so that they may have a chance to create a better future? Have you asked them what form that recompense should take? Genuinely ask them. Have they been given a seat at the table in terms of leadership and the setting of denominational policy? Have you begun to renew or replace your unjust institutions in the light of what you are learning? For the history of do-gooders in the country, unfortunately suggests that, uh, that such askings and the careful listenings for a guiding response that is part of any genuine partnership rarely happens on the ground. Instead, it is the colonists who decide what form the compensation should take and when and how. Your response to these questions will make the difference to whether reconciliation really has a chance in Australia or whether it does not. My prayer, as always, is that the veil of ignorance might be torn from our eyes. Only then will reconciliation have a chance. End quote. Emily, do you want to keep talking us through your uh, your conflict resolution stuff that you've been looking at in scripture? Have you got up to the stage of you know what is the 
the making right part of that of is that. this week's lesson. So in continuing with this idea of reconciliation and um, also the conflict resolution and being peacemakers that I've been talking about in scripture for the last few weeks with all my kids, (laughs) it's really incredible how these same things we teach our kids are so relevant in these situations because not only are we called to reconcile, but as Jesus followers, we are also called to be peacemakers. So to make peace in the situations that we have caused conflict or have had conflict and it's our responsibility as much as the other person in the situation, which is absolutely what we've been talking about tonight. So one of the really cool um, tools that we spoke about just this last week actually um, when we're in conflict with if at the kids, it's like with friends or at school or in the playground or that kind of space, but it's absolutely relevant to hear um, we've got this piecewise to put together this like pause method. So it's P-A-W-S. Um, and the idea is that we pause, you can pray and think about what you're going to say in a situation. So for these places of reconciliation and peacemaking with first peoples, it's not necessarily about maybe what we're saying or what we're thinking in an immediate situation, but it's taking the time to probably like I would think about reflecting on what I've learned and why it makes me feel how I feel and thinking that through because that can be really challenging and reflecting on my own frameworks of how things work. Um, then the asking, so it's asking peop- the other person what they want and why. That is key in these situations, yeah. especially for us as non-Indigenous, not or second peoples, to give the power in the situation, not for us as the holders of the power in the structures, but to allow our first peoples to guide where we go. And yeah. that's not to say expect them to carry it all like we were saying before, which has no, sort of been where yeah. I see, but it's saying, okay, what is it that you want and why? Why is that? How can I better understand? How can I help you better? How can we do this together? Yeah. I think one of the key things that Gary gets to in this bit that we just read was around have do Indigenous people have a seat at the table in yeah. these discussions? In, you know, when we're, we're you know, if um, context of the passage that we've just read is to church leaders um, you know, if your your church is meeting at the the AGM or the church eldership or the board or something, and going, look, we're feeling really convicted that we need to do something to, you know, we we have we have contributed to the ongoing injustice in this country, and we would like to do something to take a step towards making that right. If then it's just the the church going, all right, so we've talked about it, and we think the best thing to do would be a donation to this particular charity or um, we're going to change all our banners in the church hall to incorporate Indigenous designs, that kind of thing. Those things might actually be really great, but it's still just us deciding what we think Mm. is going to be, is going to make the situation better. There's got to be some level of conversation with the affected party, the, mm. the wronged people with Indigenous people um, to go, 
what do you need in this situation for this, for us to move towards mm. reconciliation? Um, what do you need us to do to make this right? Mm. Um, and for these contexts as, as you well, say, Emily. Sorry, yeah, you continue. As you say, Emily, it's not necessarily going, I expect you to know what is going to fi- the the one action I can take to fix this situation but it is making sure that there is a voice and there, this is a conversation. It's a dialogue. It is mm. about coming together after a struggle, being reconciled together and being able to find a way to move forward together. Mm. And in these contexts, it might not straight up look like inviting an Indigenous elder or yes. leader or pastor to your church to preach. It might be starting with, conversations around reconciliation and using different resources like Australians Together and this book and lots of other things that just sort of expose people in ways that, while uncomfortable, have a level of security in the space to ask questions and maybe work through some of the the shock or the things that, you haven't really had a chance to work through before or thought about before because it can be really confronting when you ex- like yeah. when you are exposed to new ideas like this that may not be what you've heard before for people. Yeah, yeah. And as you said before, Emily, it's about recognising when is the time to do the the internal work mm-hmm. and when is the time to do the the work of ex, of cultural exchange mm-hmm. as uh, Mark Yedica Paulson's intercultural framework shows us like there's there's times for us as as second peoples or us in our our local churches to do our work mm-hmm. and then there are times to invite indigenous leaders into our spaces and there are times for us to be invited into mm-hmm. indigenous spaces so that we can together go through the process of, mm. of learning um, and exchanging. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got to be wise All of those when need we to use happen. those time, do yes. those things. Yes, and not, and every, yeah. not every moment is going to be every one of those. Yes, and be discerning as leaders mm. to, to, to care for our and, own people as well as the yeah. other people as well. So it's a safe space for everyone. Yeah. And for us as individuals to go, oh, I'm, I'm wrestling through this particular idea. Is this something I need to sort out myself or something mm. I need to sort out with um, other second peoples who I really who I trust and, mm. uh, you know, are confident can guide me? Or is this something that, is best sorted out with an Indigenous person who, you know, a friend or do mm. I need to seek out, um, you know, an, an Indigenous cultural group or, you know, a local eldership or, mm. you know. Um, there there are lots of Indigenous-led organisations and Indigenous um, community groups around in most communities. And my experience of these groups is that they have – they are – incredibly welcoming and mm. really open-handed um, and, you know, wants people from the broader community to come and be involved um, while also knowing that there are times that, you know, this, this, is, this is a mob-only event mm. and this is 
a broader community event. Um, and yeah, just being. <laughs> Just being, sounds and kind. just being being aware enough to re- uh, read yeah, the, read the uh, Facebook event description. Yeah. Yeah. No, not even not the room. Even the just room. read the Facebook event description. Yeah. Does this say mob only on it? Don't rock up if you're not mob. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Emily, does uh, Gary have any other thoughts for us? He absolutely um, does. As per usual, he ends the chapter with a cracking <laughs> um, conclusion. So, of course, I'm going to share that. So I'm going to quote from the end of page 45. Quote, in the church, as, a, as in the whole of society, it is especially important that Indigenous Christians are permitted to order our own affairs. I have argued already in the brief chapters for the recognition of First Nations ways of being Christian, of worshipping God, of being church. Our ways are not necessarily for everyone, but they are our ways nevertheless. If the colonial church could get to a point of understanding and accepting the situation, we would be very happy indeed. As it is, colonial churches appear to persist in the way, in the view that they know what is best for us. That best turns out to be, surprise, surprise, the best that pertains to the dominant imagination and culture derived largely from Europe. Recompense for the church in Australia will certainly involve allowing its first peoples to do Christianity in our own way, to set up our own self-governing presbyteries, dioceses and synods, to worship and theologize in ways that honour our dreaming um, alongside an inherited traditions of Europe, to evangelise our people as well as the wider community according to the accent in which we hear the call of the Spirit. That is that we have been trying, what we have That is what we have been trying to do for 200 years and more, usually in the face of stiff and often violent resistance from the colonial powers who have run the churches. Whether those churches will repent and become part of a new future for us all, a future in which Indigenous Christians are no longer invisible and silent but welcomed as creative contributors to the renewal of the church out of the lessons of our own history and experience with God remains an open question. End quote. Mm. What a mm. quote. I hope it does happen. I hope it does happen I hope too. That, yeah. That that future that Gary describes is so encouraging and life filled. Yeah. Um, and I hope that we as the generations that are rising up as leaders in our churches mm. and the ones that come after us as well can do mm. better than those who have come before us and we can take ownership and yeah, be the leaders in these spaces to bring that reconciliation and move it along even just one step further or hopefully more than one step, many steps. Hopefully, but at least one, surely. Yes. Mitch, what are you going to take away and keep wrestling with from this chapter? Hmm. Great question. I think the things that that stood out to me and that were the most challenging um, were these bits from the from the end. These messages to the church and um, just the ways that we can continue to ensure that Indigenous people do have a voice into our our churches and into our structures and a, a seat at the table um, whenever they want it. Um, you know, I I think that's going to be going to continue to think about that, and not to not to diminish the 
singular importance of that relationship for Indigenous people. But I do also think about that in terms of other marginalised groups in our churches. Um, I think that's something that we can continue to grow in um, across the board, but particularly tonight with specific attention to First Nations peoples. What about for you, Emily? What's stood out and what's going to stick with you? Yeah, I think it's not dissimilar to what you've spoken about already. Um, I think just what it looks like to take the step to meaningfully engage with Indigenous Christian people, um, yeah, and how I can work together and be a good ally in these spaces and Mm. what that means and how that looks. Um, like just really tangibly and practically. Do you have a prayer or a benediction for us tonight, Mitch? I do. I have our prayer for this series from uh, Gary's Gondwana Theology itself, uh, reading from page 76. Blessed God, ancient spirit of Gondwana, you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. You are the one who nurtures and feeds us with the pure nectar of our ancient faith. Come now, blessed one, gather us together in a spirit of hospitality that we may welcome you out, sorry, that we may welcome your own wisdom in each other's wisdom and hear your own voice in each other's voices. Help us to patiently wait for the word of liberation that our hurts may be indeed, may be indeed, sorry, that our hurts may be indeed be healed and our work for others hallowed. Help us to do so after the example of Jesus our Lord, he who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We get together in two weeks at the end of August. um, We'll be jumping into Chapter 4 on Racism and the Trinity, which I am really interested in what that is. Um, So I really look forward to I have read this chapter. But Excellent. I'm looking forward to rereading it. I know. I'm very much looking forward to that because Trinitarian theology is always so interesting. Um, yes. I suspect we're going to go high concept next. I think night. so. I think it will be. Um, That'll be fun. It will be fun. It's always a good time. And uh, so, Mitch, we are in August. So what we does are. that mean is happening in the rest of the embodied world at this moment? Yeah, it means we are rapidly barreling towards Safe Water September. So every year we run a fundraising campaign to support GMP's local partners on the ground doing safe water projects in Zimbabwe, Vanuatu and Bangladesh. And we'd love for all of you listening to join us. Um, The challenge is to drink just water for one month, food as normal, but no tea, coffee, soft drinks, juice, anything like that. And you'll raise money for life-changing safe water projects. so I do encourage you to head to safewatersupptember.org.au, find out more about the challenge, sign up, join a team, invite your friends and start fundraising to have a life-changing impact. And also just as a side note, uh, score some pretty cool merch that uh, has just been delivered today to our Adelaide uh, office and we're very keen to get so out exciting. to people. So. There's some very cool stuff <laughs> happening this year. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, safewatersupptember.org.au, the link's in the show notes, check it out. And yeah, we look forward to being back here on the Discord uh, to record our next episode of Reading Mission in two weeks' time. And we promise it'll be two weeks' time. (laughs) 
We do. We do. We promise now. We'll see. We'll see what's we'll in see. store, but we're aiming for two weeks' time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Reading Mission, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review us so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Every episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server. So if you want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice and social change together, head to embody.org.au slash discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at EmbodyAU and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Wood. We'll catch you next time and thanks for listening to Reading